Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by founder Gary Berry, founder and managing director of Alberry Building Services, a high-quality building and construction company. Gary, hello. Hello there. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, now, normally I'd like to get straight into the subject of leadership, but considering the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, how has this uh, changed the way in which you do business? Uh, yeah, it, it, it has changed things because people have, have obviously got very scared and they're waiting for some form of confidence build, really on how they move how they want to move forward so me as a as, as a as a owner um we have to think about obviously all our clients and our workforce and stuff like that so we're reliant on how they feel about things as well because it doesn't matter us as a business if we want to go full bore ahead it if we're going into clients properties they might not want us to go full bore ahead. And mm. if the client wants us to go full bore ahead, our subcontractors and our workforce might want to go full bore ahead. So we have to really sort of try and combine the whole package uh, of, of where we can place people, where we can put people and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it has had a big impact. impact and... Uh, do we see change? Yeah, we do. We, we, we see it slowly moving forwards with people getting confidence uh, in, in what's coming back from the government. So that, that's my answer on that, really. I don't know if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, do you feel that this is going to cause a, a long-term uh, effect on the way in which construction uh, is carried out? Right, long-term effect. Um, yes, it will, car- it will carry a long-term effect. Um, simply because when we're talking about social distancing and all that sort of stuff, um, as you would more likely be aware, in the building industry, it's very hard to keep social distance in, in the right manner, simply because a lot of, a lot of two-handed um, with when you're lifting stuff and carrying stuff and the weight distribution mm. and stuff like that. It's very hard to say, well, you do that on your own over there, and you do that on your own over there, and you do that on your own over there. You know, we're having, a, you know, when you have fans and lorries turn up and they've got heavy stuff, you know, you've you've got two, three, four people carrying, you know, because sometimes machinery won't do it. So it is going to have a long-term effect because how do we actually keep the social distancing to the letter of the law? Um, when the practicality of it, if you're running a business, um, won't, won't work, you know. So, yeah, it's going to have a long-term effect because us as a business, if I say to a couple of my guys, do that and do that, they've been their right to say, well, I can't do that because it's not social distancing. Right. But also the reality of it is, are we back at work or are we not back at work? So, so yeah, it's it's tough and it's going to be tough and it's going to be tough for quite a while. I I, I think maybe three three six months something like that. 
Now, uh, let's uh, move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? What does the word leader mean to me? Basically, I, I don't know if I really see myself as a leader. I, I see myself uh, as, as someone who, who offers a service to the, the, well, the community and my clients and also offer the opportunity to my workforce to come on board and be part of a, of a setup, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at this more as a, as a team thing. And, yeah, I, I, I suppose you're right and correct saying that it does need a leader um, uh, to promote that. But, yeah, I, I see it more as a team. A team, and I'm, I'm the leader of the team. Yeah. I, I, well, every I, team has to have a captain. Um, what yeah, is that's right. what is your yeah. uh, leadership style? Uh, very laid back, uh, and um, very diplomatic. Really, I like to try and be diplomatic because when we when we look at say our client base, we get all different communities within our client, and all and all different genres of people. And we also do that with our workforce as well. You know, mm. you've, you've, got, you've got all people from all over the, all over the world living in London now. And, um, you know, there's all different cultures that we have to work. So if you, if you went in that sort of environment with a, a fiery attitude, so to speak, it wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. It of just course. wouldn't work. So, uh, and, and also with your workforce, you know, if you aspire towards your workforce, they, you, you know, you go for a turnover of men uh, very quickly. Whereas I, I like to get hold of um, our workforce and try and keep them on board. You know, the ones that, the, the ones that we work together, you know, we've got people working with us who've been with us for 30 odd years, you know, and that's what we pride ourselves on. So our, my leadership would be very laid back and very relaxed, and uh, someone who can be spoken to. I think that's where I, I come from, yeah. Now, did you derive that opinion uh, from a role model you had when you first started out your career? No, not really, because I, I, I think I, I just naturally born that way, um, where I'm, I'm very lucky, you know, I've, I've worked with people over the years that have been, um, I, I don't know if the word's right, it's aggressive in their leadership style. And I've worked with people very laid back. And, and, and I, I suppose the laid back people are where I've sort of got my inspiration from. Yeah, yeah. Now let's uh, let's talk a bit about uh, young people and uh, the trades. Uh, it does seem as though uh, for at least the past 30 years there's been a push uh, by academia and uh, the uh, education establishment uh, encouraging uh, youngsters to go into university and office work as opposed to taking up the trades, which can be a very rewarding career. What do you think can be done to get more young people into uh, trade-based work? I think it's going to be very hard. I think it's going to be very hard. Uh, and my reason for that is the uh, is computer world, the iPad world, the phone world, and stuff like that. 
whereas people are seeing that they can earn a living uh, without being uh, rude, uh, press buttons, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And our, our, our trade is very indifferent. You know, you, you, you know, it, it's tiring. There's a lot of travelling involved. Um, a lot of difference with temperatures and weather and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're asking, you're asking a young guy or, or a young lady, you know, to be fair, um, to come on board in the middle of January or February and we're working outside for the next two months. It's not very appealing. It's not very appealing. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, and when you've got someone who, who's gone into a university and stuff like that to, to learn something, then the only appeal to them would be in a QS or a surveying type role, uh, which is still part of the building trade. Um, but I, I'm assuming that you're asking the question is the workforce out, out on the field, so to speak. Well, the thing is, how do we get young people to make that decision to go into the trades from school? I, I think it just has to be has to be done within some kind of setup in school. Mm-hmm. Say, well, what we can do, we, you know, instead of pushing everybody towards university, and there's nothing wrong with going to university, but I'm sure that the people who go into university don't come out of university and go in the building trade, uh, as in workforce. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's always been known that most of the people are, the people who are a little bit more, should we say, less educated, a little bit less opportunities so to speak and um, but it's putting them skills out there at school I mean it, at school would you you know you've got your carpentry courses and stuff like that uh, but you wouldn't have brickland courses or groundwork courses or, or drainage courses stuff like that you just wouldn't have them at school mm-hmm. you know um, and how would you change that now whether you would get some kind of set up where uh, your class would go to some kind of local air room or, or, or building that's set up to do that outside of school, maybe that maybe that would be a way forward. Um, you know, when you go into the uh, the night school colleges where, you know, you do a bit of brickland and stuff like that, um, maybe you could get access to them for the schools during the day. Mm. Um, you know, so something, something like that. Basically, people have to, without being rude, they have to pick up the call of the trade to say, mm-hmm. oh, it's all right saying I want to be a bricklayer or I want to be a plasterer or, or something like that. But the reality of it is he's going to pick up the call of his trade and, and, and say, right, okay, we're, we're going to lay some bricks today. We're going to put a bit of plaster on the wall today and, and, and get that feeling as if that's something that they would like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough. It's tough. Our, our trade is tough. It's very, very tough. We might not do the hours that office workers do because you know my my two sons uh, work in an office based format and they do a lot more hours than what we do. Right. So uh, because simply physically in the building trade you couldn't do them hours. Of course, it, it, it wouldn't work. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, I would say learn things at school in some kind of environment where you can take a selective amount of people who would like to do that and give themselves a try manually 
with at all. Now, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But quickly before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Albury Business Services, uh, Building Services? Well, we've got a full book. Uh, so so we're, we're developing, developing some properties um, in, in the outskirts of London and in London, which we're, we're very busy and we're promoting as much as we can. We've had some very positive feedback from estate agents on the sales of properties and stuff like that. So at the moment, we're not pressing any panic button whatsoever. Well, that's fantastic okay. to hear, Gary. And uh, I'd love to have you back on the program when things get back to uh, some semblance of normalcy so we can have a bit more of an in-depth chat. Uh, Gary, oh, thank you. I'd love to come back. Yeah, anytime. That was Gary Berry, founder and managing director of Albury Business Services. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with, he'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have 
uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time it may be overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, 
a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing, and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark. Mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just. A lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position, and somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show you. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm I'm not making this up. I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. 
And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard of somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh, if you laugh If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's 
has, has an influence how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly um, yeah and and with that looking at um, uh, football today uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely... Mm. You've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing. Astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, 
and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind in this, uh, single mind in this dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.